0: We're reading from 2 Peter chapter 1, and I'm actually going to cheat, I'm going to read from verse 2, not from verse 3, because that's an introduction, because it's Peter writing to the church, and he says, Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And it's his divine power that has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, Make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ.
1: Thanks. Thanks. So, um, just want to want you just to read those first the first um, sentence again in that reading. You know, if you've still got it open, or, or I'm going to read. I'll read it for you anyway. And it says, "His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory." Everything we need. We've been given everything we need. We've been looking at, um, you might wonder why didn't we read Ezra and Nehemiah, we've been looking at Ezra and Nehemiah for the last few weeks and um, there are some great principles for us to notice um, and we've been taking through some of those, there's some, some wonderful um, things for us to notice as, as as we build and as we rebuild and we've been talking about rebuilding this year, moving people in following Christ and rebuilding ourselves as a church and um, that that's a natural progression. And there's some great principles in there for us. You know, as we focus on what God's um, called us to do and who God's called us to be. And we've, we've coined that phrase, a community moving people in following Christ. That's who we want to be. We want to be people that move people in following Christ. And we've talked about being, a, a, in the last few weeks, there's been messages on being appointed to build, um, about unity, as we build, as we rebuild, and also we've checked out how how opposition um, how opposition sometimes comes to rebuilding or building. But this week I want to have a look at equipping. Generous equipping. So I, what I've called this week is equipped to re in brackets build equipped to build and rebuild. You know, in the two books that we're looking at in, in Ezra and Nehemiah, and I don't know whether you've taken time to read them. Uh, during the week or so they read great as a story if you wanted to find them in a bit more of a contemporary language on internet or something like that they read really really well as a story you actually see this wonderful progression of what's happening so in these two books we're looking at rebuilding is the goal of these two men Ezra and Nehemiah and the people of Israel God's people always knew what they were called to do and to be They'd heard it for generations. These were people that knew they were God's people. They knew, um, it was coined in the past in some of their leaders, you know, you are a people set apart for God. You're a people that are to live for God. You know, they were told that when they went into the promised land and Joshua said that, you know, as for me and my household. They knew that. This was no secret for them that they were a special people and that they were to be a shining light for God in the world, Yahweh. But their nation, Jerusalem, had been rudely interrupted, violently and maliciously interrupted. Their city had been trashed. They'd been taken by a more powerful nations and their cities had been pretty much totally trashed. The temple had been ruined, the walls had been broken down, um, the very things that... Um, that were their mainstays, you know, and, and they're now living in other places. And it's interesting because there were a few remnants of, of people still living in, the, in, even though it was a broken down city, but it was kind of a brain drain, you know, the, the, and they do that nowadays. The, captor, the captors would look at who was the ones that they wanted in their nation. So there's a bit of a brain drain. The people living in captivity, basically, they were owned. They were captives and they were owned by their captors. Now, as they're in bondage, time passes, uh, rulers change. There's new kings and, and new rulers. And within the nation of Jerusalem, within the Jews in captivity, there's some courageous leaders that are now ready. And these, this is the stories we're reading. I'm giving you just a quick bit of background. God has prepared them. God has not been silent and God has not been doing nothing during this time. He's prepared these courageous leaders. He's worked in their hearts And some of them received a passion to rebuild the temple. If you read Ezra, you'll see that. Others had a passion and a call to rebuild the walls and the city. And you'll read that in Nehemiah. Why? Why did they want to do that? First of all, they wanted to bring glory back to God with their nation but also because the whole idea was we rebuild the temple, we rebuild the city, because the exiles, those that are now in in other lands, we want it to be ready for them to come back in, for the exiles that needed to come home, for them to come back in. And the temple and the city must be ready for the exiles to come in and serve the Lord again. God's light to the world, Jerusalem, must shine again. And so the whole reason for building the city and rebuilding the walls isn't just for the remnant of people that are still in there, because they knew that there were people, the exiles were going to come back in, and the place needed to be ready for them. So in Ezra, they're rebuilding the temple. you know, and a temple was the place where God lived, where God dwelled. That was God's presence. The temple was in a city that was the presence of God in the city. The temple was also a place where they would bring their worship, bring their offering. <coughs> where they met God. In the Old Testament, they went to the temple to meet God. And it was a place that signified who they were, who was their king. He is God. This is the temple. He lives here. We are his people and he is our God. It was an identity statement, the temple. Remember these things. This is really important. Why would you rebuild a temple? Because this was really important to the nation of Israel. And that had been trashed. The temple had been ruined. Now, these captors weren't silly. They knew that they needed to destroy the temple. They knew that they needed to destroy this whole indication of the king, that that was not their king. It was intentional. It was a way to destroy the identity of the Israel and the Jews, and it was a way to reestablish who the boss is. It was what they did. They trashed the temple to separate them from the identity and separate them from that supernatural leadership that the people followed. So the captors didn't just take the people, they knew how to destroy history and the culture of the people as well. In Nehemiah, they're rebuilding the walls of the city, if you read that. And you'll read about, you know, dung gates and these gates and these people built this wall and these people built that wall, never mind the names. But they're effectively rebuilding the city, if you like. And the city is important because it's a place that the the Jews called home. It's where they belonged. It signified, you know, particularly with a wall, security, protection, a place for them to worship safely, and again, their identity. This is our city. And, and this is where we live as God's people. And it's a place where living as God's chosen was practiced. It's where they practiced being God's people. Think of culture. It's where their unique culture was practiced inside those walls. And if you've ever traveled... And we know, um, even in our churches oftentimes, because some of us have Dutch background, you know how important culture is. And you know intrinsically, even for our Sri Lankan culture, you know how culture creeps in and affects our decision-making, who we are, what we eat, what we like, who we connect with. So it was really important that those walls were built because it established their culture. Now, that had also been trashed and ruined by... their captors and that was also intentional because the whole idea was to make people vulnerable to remove their protection to remove their identity to unsettle them to overthrow them and, and, and prove might over them to to subdue the people if you could ruin their city walls and and they were exposed to the elements and everyone you made them vulnerable and that's how you captured them so that was all um that was all intentional And so the temple and the walls, these two books, Ezra and Nehemiah, are two major mainstays of their society, major things in their society and their culture and their identity as people. So that's the background. And so Ezra and Nehemiah, God's been working on them. They're going to rebuild it. There's some serious rebuilding to be done in both cases. The foundations are still there. And isn't it interesting? Because if you think about physically the foundations were there, But if you think about it in a spiritual realm, the dream, the reason for being God's people is still alive. Their identity is not dead, not in the heart of God, and as he translates that into the heart of his people. And these two mainstays are not only important humanly. God considered these things important. These things had to do with their call and purpose as God's people. And in both cases, as we read the accounts, God makes sure, and this is where I want to get to equipping, God makes sure that they are amazingly equipped. Ezra, Nehemiah, the people that worked with him, the people that went, God ensures that they're amazingly equipped to do what it will take. Building a temple and walls in those days wasn't just, let's have a working bee on Saturday. We'll have breakfast. We'll do a working bee. We'll get a skip bin in. By the end of the day, we'll be done. And this was big. The temple, that, you know, that you couldn't just whack a temple up and say, well, it's got four walls, let's just stick God in it and go. There was some really, temple building was really important. And God makes sure that they're amazingly equipped for this big, big task of rebuilding. Now, we can't read it all, but I wanted us to have a look specifically at some of the scriptures. And so I've got them on slides just to give us a bit of an idea just how specific God's equipping was. And this is really important. So if we could have those slides up, Jordan, the first one. And these are scriptures um, in Ezra, and um, just read them along with me. In Ezra 4, uh, 1 to 4 and 6, says this, and, and the king says, and "...in any locality where survivors may now be living, the people are to provide them with silver and gold, with goods and with livestock, and with freewill offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem." Then the family, the heads of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and Levites, everyone whose heart God had moved, prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. And then all their neighbors assisted them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock, with valuable gifts, in addition to all the free will offerings. And so God moves the people there, some of them might have been even part of their captors, and some of them were captives, moves the people to provide them with all sorts of stuff, everything that they might need for the task. Very specific equipping. Then if we go to the next slide, we'll see that in uh, chapter 1, verses 7 to 11, King Cyrus, who is the king there, and uh, I kind of like King Cyrus a little bit, but King Cyrus... He brings out all the so King Cyrus brought out the articles belonging to the temple of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar, he was the bad guy that, that, that ruined the, the city, had carried away from Jerusalem and had placed them in the temple of his God. Cyrus, the king of Persia, had them brought out by Myth and in that guy, the treasurer, who counted them out to Sheshbazzar. Wouldn't you say, Mum, what were you thinking when you named me that? I mean, really. Hey, mate. Well, you could shorten that quite easy anyway. Anyway, who counted them out to Shezbazar, the prince of Judah. This was the inventory. Gold dishes, 30. Silver dishes, 1,000. Silver pans, 29. Gold bowls, 30. Matching silver bowls, 400. They've got to be matching. 410. Other articles, 1,000. In all, there were 5,400 articles of gold and silver. Shezbazar bought all these things along with the exiles when they came from Babylon to Jerusalem. So Cyrus understands what's happening here and he takes the stuff that Nebuchadnezzar had captured and gives it back to them to use and to bring back because he understands the importance. So God isn't only providing practically, but spiritually God knows that these items are really important. Let's go on. In chapter 2, verse 68, the top verse there. When they arrived at the house of the Lord in Jerusalem, so they're now back there, some of the heads of the families people that were still there the remnant if you like gave free will offerings towards the rebuilding of the house of God on its site so the people already there in Jerusalem they took up offerings because they said well we need to provide for this 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 needs to happen we need to be generous here and then in 3 verse 7 if you look straight on the same slide straight underneath that it says then they gave money to the masons and the carpenters and gave food and drink and olive oil to the people of Sidon and Tyre so that they would bring cedar logs by sea from Lebanon to Joppa as authorized by Cyrus, king of Persia. So Cyrus thought they're going to need cedar. Cedar was, you know, when you, when you read in the days when Solomon was building a temple, that was, the, that was the main ingredient, the cedar wood. And so Cyrus has understood they need cedars. So God moves Cyrus to make sure that they can get the cedar that they need. Then we have this kind of stop for a moment. The building gets stopped by opposition. If you've read the story, there's some opposition. There's people that don't like seeing this happen uh, and they want it stopped. Um, We've already talked about that, so I'm not going to go into that. And as the king changes, the things get stopped. But then God's people dare to restart, even without permission. They dare to restart. Even though they've been given an edict by the former king to stop, they get started again. But those people that stopped them in the first place come back and challenge it and say, You should be stopped. And so they go to this new king, Darius, and say, These guys are not supposed to be building. But Darius thinks, Hang on a second, I just want to see. Someone says to him, But Cyrus said that they could do that. So I just want to check that out. And he instructs his people to go and have a look what the history, and it's amazing how they kept history, and they can go back and read all the edicts of the former kings. They weren't electronic guys. And he goes back and he rediscovers that Cyrus had made an edict that they should be able to go and rebuild, and that he was providing so much for them. So he enforces Cyrus's edict and says, No, these guys can build, and the generous equipping starts again. And Have a look at the next slide. Because this is really cool. In, in chapter 6, Moreover, love that word, Moreover, I hereby decree, this is Darius now, what you are to do for these elders, it must have been really hard for these guys that were in opposition hearing him say that. They thought they were winning and now they're not. I hereby decree that what you are to do for these elders of the Jews in the construction of this house of God, their expenses are to be fully paid out of the royal treasury from the revenue of the trans-Euphrates so that the work will not stop Whatever is needed, young bulls, rams, male lambs for burnt offerings to the God of heaven and wheat, salt, wine, olive oil as requested by the priests in Jerusalem must be given them daily without fail so that they might offer sacrifices pleasing to the God of heaven and pray for the well-being of the king and his sons. little bit of self-interest at the end there. But hey, God will use anything. Isn't it amazing? Not only what Cyrus said, but more. Everyday provision, even for their sacrifices and for their worship practices. So God makes sure that even that is taken care of. And then the, um, I think we have one more. The last slide I've got there is, um, there's another new king. Darius has moved on, an Artaxerxes. I said that right. This Ezra came up from Babylon. He was a teacher and well-versed in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. The king had granted him everything he asked for, For the hand of the Lord his God was on him. And I thought that was really interesting. Even Artaxerxes gives him everything that he asks for. Why? Because the hand of the Lord was on him. And I think the king saw that and knew that. And so it's amazing. My goal isn't to bore you with reading these things, but just have a look. And I didn't even pick all of them. How specific God is and how generous God is in equipping the people to do what he's called them to do. And if you read in Nehemiah, we're not going to go through them, you see the same things. He has favor with the king. This is that same king, Artaxerxes. And um, he sends him as well and provides and orders for everything to be provided for him. You see, God had a long-term plan for his people. And he provided everything they needed. Favor with kings, food supplies to live and work, all the supplies that they needed to build, cash, gold and silver to use and more, right down to the detail. You see, God was re-establishing His presence in the city as a place for the exiles to come home to. God was re-establishing His people and their call to be His people and to be those that point to Him. God provided and equipped generously and extravagantly. They were given everything they needed Those are important words. We read them in our scripture. Everything they needed to be God's people and to do his will. And this included him being with them, his presence. You know, I started thinking, we've been talking in the office about Ezra and Nehemiah, and I thought, okay, so why are these accounts such a great analogy for us? And particularly in this area, why? Because if you have a good look, it's true for us as well. Firstly, even though we're not Jews, I don't know if there's anyone here with Jewish blood. If you don't have a Jewish history, you're a Gentile. So the first thing that we need to understand that we are also God's people, even though we're not Jews. We just need to look at Ephesians chapter 1 to see that. We know that Ephesians, um, the Ephesian church, Paul reminds them that you too in the in verse um, in verse 13 of chapter 1 in Ephesians and there's going to be a few more Ephesians verses so they're not going to be up there so this is your turn to get Ephesians out while you're listening to me in Ephesians chapter 1 Paul says and you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth and so the gentiles have now come and we are the gentiles so this is important for us because we are God's people I want you to hear that, and and that might sound really logical, and we sing it and we say it. But I want you to understand that God's passion for His people, Israel, and look, there are so many discussions about that and about the way we should see Israel and that. But we are God's people. There is no less love for us, no less intention, no less purpose for us than there was for the Jews or is for the Jews now. So we're God's people. Second, we've been called to bring home the exiles, haven't we? The Great Commission said that to us. We were called to go and make disciples of all nations. We were called to go and bring home the exiles, those that don't yet know him, those that aren't in the kingdom. A long-term plan is for us as well. We were called to create a place for the exiles to grow, to learn, to love, and to be those that reach other exiles We have foundations both as individuals and as a community that need building and rebuilding. Every one of us does. Every church does. Things change. Stuff happens. Sometimes it's growth. Sometimes it's lack of growth. Sometimes our environment changes. Sometimes things get stagnant. We too have, personally and as a community, we have foundations that need building and or rebuilding, or fixing up. We've got to clear the rubble away so that we can find them. And for this building and rebuilding, God has been really generous, very generous, in fact, in equipping us too for the task. Peter says in our text, and this is where you'll see it, that we have been equipped with everything we need for a godly life. Now, what is that everything? And we could list off things like, you know, we've been given a, a place to meet, we've been given, you know, the Word of God, we have, we've been... Uh, We've been given each other. We've been given the capacity to pray, etc. But we've been given everything we need. And one of the things I want to focus on, and that's what I want you to have a look at Ephesians, because there's the clue. You see, the Ephesians were in trouble, they they had some stuff going on. And Paul wants to encourage them and remind them. Remember, they were the Gentiles, and remind them. And he starts off with Ephesians chapter 1. And if you have a look at Ephesians chapter 1, if you've got it, if you, if you haven't, just listen really carefully. In verse 3, he said, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. That's how he begins to encourage them. They're struggling and he wants to encourage them. We've been given every spiritual blessing. Now, what is that? Yes, it's salvation. And yes, it's sonship, and yes, it's eternal life. But what Paul wants them to know that it's, they've got power. It's the Holy Spirit. And this, this is, I love Ephesians because this is really exciting. So if they ever do an Ephesians series, I'm gonna, I'm, Glenn's not even going to get up here. It's the Holy Spirit. Have a look in verse 13 and 14 again in chapter 1 where he says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth. I want to encourage you guys, the gospel of your salvation. And when you believed it, when you believed it, when you took it on, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are in God's position to the praise of his glory. They were sealed Paul reminds them, you know, when you believed it, when you heard the word of truth and when you believed it, the Holy Spirit came to live in you. Now, wait, why is that really important? Why does he want to tell them that? How important is the Holy Spirit? Now, this is true for us as well. I don't want you to hear it for these poor Ephesians. I want you to hear it for you. When you heard the word of truth and when you believed it, the Holy Spirit came and indwelled you. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit. Why is that important? How important is the Holy Spirit? How powerful is the Holy Spirit? Why is this one of God's greatest providences, one of the greatest things He's provided us? Check out verse 19 and 20 of the same chapter if you've got it there. Don't look at the slides anymore. It's a different one. Verse 19 and 20. Let me find it. And He says... and. I'll start at eighteen. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glory inheritance in his glorious inheritance in his people. And his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Jesus Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. How, important, how powerful, how important is it that we have the Holy Spirit? That's the power that lives in. Does it live in us? Have a flick over to 3 verse 16 where Paul says he's still encouraging. The first four chapters of Ephesians are the most encouraging chapters you can read. If you're down, you're not doing well, read 1 to 4 Ephesians. And if you're not feeling better after you've read them, I think I've said this before, read them again. And if you're not feeling better, read them again. 3 verse 16. This is what he says in 3 verse 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. That's how God equipped us. That's why it's really important. That's why Peter says, and Paul says, we have everything we need. Equipping to rebuild, equipping to build, equipping to be his people. God has provided us with everything we need. We have his presence, his Holy Spirit, which is power. And that, my friends, is equipping. That's serious equipping. I don't get that. I have to confess that I don't understand the significance of that a lot of time. And I don't think we do. I don't think we understand the power that lives in us. I don't think we understand what God has given us all the time. So with that power in us, we can do what Peter challenges us to do as he reads on in that text. You know, add to your goodness self-control. Add to this and add to this. Become the people of God. You know, who has that Holy Spirit? <laughs> and it's not just... Sometimes I've talked to people sometimes and they say, you know, the power of the Holy Spirit, you know, that's for these very spiritual people or, you know, people get into the second blessing stuff and, or oh, that's for pastors. And it's not. In Acts chapter 1... Oh, chapter 2, isn't it? Where it talks about the Spirit was poured out on who? Anyone remember that? It says the Holy Spirit was poured out on some flesh, doesn't it? Does it say that? Help me here. It says all flesh, doesn't it? How many of you are part of all? Only some of you? You need to go back to school, some of you. And in Acts chapter 1, Jesus said to the disciples, you remember when he left and he went to heaven and he said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He says, don't go until you receive the Holy Spirit because it's necessary. Don't run off ahead of me and start, you know, start trying to be you know, heroes. Pray, ask and wait. And so they did, didn't they? And Jesus said that because he, you will need that equipping. You will need that resource. And they got it. Ezra and Nehemiah had the call and they had the passion And they asked the king to provide, and he did. They got it. We need to ask the king to provide. The disciples needed to pray and ask and wait. We can't move people in following Christ without this provision, without this equipping, without understanding the work of the Holy Spirit. We can't move people in following Christ without the work of the Holy Spirit in us. We have the call. You know, the Word is full of it. We understand the call. If, we read, if you read the Word honestly, there's a lot to learn in there. But what you'll see is, the red thread you'll see in there is that we are to bring the exiles home. We are to bring those that are lost, that don't know, that aren't part of the kingdom of God, we are to bring them in. We're to grow as kingdom people ourselves, most definitely. We're to be disciples, but we're to disciple others. We're to bring people in. So we have the call. There's none of us here that doesn't have the call. And recently God has spoken to us as leaders and we understand that call on our church needs to be built and rebuilt. We know we need to build. And we know we need to rebuild in this area. We don't even need to ask or wait for the provision because He's already made it. In Christ, we've been saved and made free. Like Paul says to the Ephesians, when you were uh, included when you heard the word of truth and you believed it. In Christ, we've been saved and made free. That's sealed and it's signified and it's affirmed by the indwelling and equipping and power of the Holy Spirit in us, in every one of us, when we believed. This is good news, guys, isn't it? If you're asleep, wake up now. This is good news. Because we know that following Christ, (coughs) both as, as individuals and even as a church community, isn't always easy, is it? It's challenging sometimes. It challenges our comfort zones. It challenges our likes. Uh, it challenges our traditions at times and our habits and, and our systems. To, to, to follow Christ and to, and to do that challenges us. And it's hard work at times and, and it costs all sorts of things. It costs time, effort, thought, money. And it comes with opposition as we've seen from outside and sometimes even from within, doesn't it? And the call, the call that we all have, the call that's there for us to see, it gets drowned out by all the other noise in our lives, doesn't it? All the other stuff in our lives. The the call gets drowned out. The call gets shifted back further and further because there's so many other things in our lives that we've got to deal with. And the temple and the walls can get a beating from time to time, can't they? This is good news that, that, that we have the equipping we need for this. Rebuilding is necessary at times, but we've been equipped to do it. Our call to follow Christ and to move others to that goal is a God-given call. It's not just something that we thought up in leadership. This is what God has given us. Ezra and Nehemiah show us that when God calls, when God has a plan, He provides and He equips richly abundantly and generously for everything that will be needed. This same call uh, is for us as well. And he's equipped each one of us to carry that. I hope that that's the message you get this morning. If you've got nothing else, I want you to understand that God has given you everything you need to be a follower of Christ, but also to make followers of Christ. That isn't reserved for a few special people. He's given you that same Holy Spirit that He's given me. It's the same power. I haven't raised any dead people recently. I don't know about you, but it's there, the power. And I mean everyone. Like I said, Acts chapter 2 says that His Spirit was poured out on all flesh. The words of Peter and Paul are great encouraging words for the New Testament church, aren't they? Can you imagine the Ephesians, you know, their letter reader guy or their elder on duty says, we've got a letter from Peter, uh, from Paul. And, um, you know, we're having a lot of trouble at the moment. And he reads that, and and as he's reading that, he's probably thinking, wow, yeah, that's right. It's like Paul speaking, and they're all listening, and they're realizing it's true. It was very encouraging for them. And these words are encouraging for us as well. We've been given every spiritual blessing, and as Paul says, His divine power, that Holy Spirit in you, has given you everything you need to live as a follower of Christ and to move others to do that too. Paul finishes with these words in Ephesians 1, <coughs> chapter 14, and I read them, be, uh, verse 14. I read them, and they're just um, just six little words right at the end, uh, right at the end of verse 14 in chapter 1. Now, when he's telling them that, you know, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit, and you heard the word, and you were included in everything, to the praise of his glory. That's what it's about. Rebuilding Ezra, Nehemiah, Temple walls, it wasn't about them. They weren't to rebuild so that they would be a mighty nation and nice shiny walls, new kind of bricks, great gates, fancy temple. It wasn't about them at all. It was that they would point to God. That God would be glorified. That other nations, that kings and people like Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes and all these guys would look and say, they have this God that is absolutely awesome and we need to do everything we can to make sure that that happens, that they're there, that they can worship their God. God wanted to be great in the world then and he wants to be great in the world now. That's what it's about. In Ephesians, that's what it was about. Paul says it's great. You know, you guys are in trouble and I want to encourage you, but it's for the praise of his glory. In in Ephesus, the king of kings needs to be seen through you. I want that in me. I want that through me. We want that in our church, in our church community. We want that through our church community. I want to build where God calls us, and I want to rebuild where he shows us we need to rebuild. I want to be obedient in that. We want to be obedient in that. I want One Hope Community Church to be a place where the exiles, those separated from him or that don't know Jesus, can come in. And they can experience his presence and feel the security and identity of a new life in Christ. I want it to be a place where where we as his chosen people grow, (laughs) get better in our understanding of our call to follow Christ. And that we begin to move others to do that, to encourage others to do that as well. And if that means changing stuff, or if that means clearing away the debris and rebuilding, then I want to do it. So that we can be sure, as much as is humanly possible, that we can be sure that One Hope Community Church is and exists for the praise of His glory. To lift Him up not to lift up the past or the things we've done before, not to lift up our opinions or our structures, our preferences, our style of worship, our, our preaching, our, our kids' ministry, our youth ministry and all of those sacred things that we, not to lift them up. We would become a church that moves people in following Christ to the praise of His glory. I don't do that enough. I'm preaching this stuff, guys, but it's hard. It's even hard to know how to do that in my own life really well. But I'm convicted that that's what we've got to do. And I'm convicted that that's why the Holy Spirit, that's why God equipped us. And that's why he so generously equipped us. So I want to do whatever it takes. I want us to do whatever it takes. Because my God has and will provide And equip us for the task. He'll do it willingly, generously, and powerfully. Are you in? Let's pray. God, I'm just so aware that we can preach and and listen to sermons like this. We can get a little bit more understanding of, of what your word says to us in all different areas. We can have lights turn on and connections that are made. We can not assent to how wonderful you are, were and are. And and I can do all that sort of stuff and, and sometimes it, and nothing ever changes still. that I walk out the door. I walk out the door at the side here and I walk into the rest of my life and so much of, of what you said falls off because there's so many cares and concerns um, in the rest of my life and our lives. And I know, Lord, that personally for me, that, that my sin overwhelms so much of, of the goodness that, that you share with me, that my um, my propensity to to want to sin, to to want to walk away from you, to want to have it my way, to want to do it my way, to want to be comfortable, more often than not trumps what I learned from you. And Lord, I, I know that I'm not on my own. I know that that's a human thing and I know that we all struggle with that. And I want to pray, Holy Spirit, this morning. As we've heard about you living in us, I want to pray that you would begin a transforming work in me and in us and in our community. That you would begin to give us courage in increasing measure to live lives that are for your praise and glory. And the way that we do that is to become followers of you, become increasingly better followers of you and understand what it means to to bring others to that place. Holy Spirit, I I do want to understand what it means for me to, um, to be filled with you and to know your power not just for religious and spiritual stuff, but for everything, for relationships, for for my work, for, uh, for my lifestyle, for my family, for my dreams, for everything, Lord. And for each one of us, I pray that for us, Lord. I pray that for our church, I pray that we would understand what the equipping of your spirit means for us as a church, that as we aspire to undertake things, that we know that we don't do it in our own power, that we do it with your power, and that when we do it with your power, that it is for your praise and glory, and that we are willing to leave ourselves behind if we need to, and do whatever it takes to be a community that follows you, that moves people in following you too. This work isn't going to happen because I preached it or because our leadership decided that this is where we want to go. It happens because of your work in us, Holy Spirit. And so I pray that you would seal that this morning in us as a community and individuals, that we would understand, each one of us, what this might mean for us, and that we'd be filled with courage to have a go and to turn our answer yes to a you-in to a real yes. Thank you, God, that we can do that. Thank you that you've equipped us and that you continually will. In Jesus' name, amen.